Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we will be discussing Blues in the Night. First, how are we doing? Hello, hello, thank you for listening to this, the latest episode of The Musical Man. I am here, Patty is here, Benny is here, the three musketeers, and we have an opening segment for you that's just jam-packed with content. If you have been following us from the beginning, you know that we have had some, uh, let's say, interesting experiences with a, a pair of podcast Hosts. Now we 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 we. I'm going going. It's hard to get into this. The backstory here, if you're not familiar, it's not that complicated. But I just want to relay as much of it as I can in broad strokes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So we 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 we. Goodness gracious! We recorded this podcast in a studio. There are many spaces within this studio. Most of them are for podcasting in interview NPR style, whatever project you're tackling, they have a few spaces for bands. If you like to sing, you know, they, they got all kinds of rooms in here and you gotta, you gotta schedule them in advance is the point. You gotta know what's going on. And sometimes we have bookings, appointments that go up against this other podcast that we have talked about in the past. It's hosted by two men and it's about tennis. I'm not gonna reveal the name of the podcast because I don't need anyone giving them negative reviews or bothering them. And frankly, I'm just not interested in giving them the free publicity that comes with mentioning the name of their podcast. But we have had some weird experiences with them. There was the moment where we described the premise of our show and they just stared at us like we were out of our goddamn minds. We have received odd passive-aggressive notes in regards to uh, the cleanliness of the studio, even when the cleanliness of the studio has nothing to do with us. We usually come in after them and I don't really know what they were referencing that these notes and the, uh, no reason to go into it any more than I already have. Let's just say that these guys are a bit of a, a bit of a troublesome duo. A bit of a they, they, they don't really seem to get us, and we I think are perfectly polite to them. And you know, Benny has has never really had any experience with them face to face. He's heard us talk about them in the past. But he's never really had any experience with them until recently. And he has, you know, Benny's usually the first person here. He's a real go-getter is what he is. He's a real go-getter, and we appreciate that around here. And Benny was telling us about how when he got here before Patty and I over these last few weeks, you know, again, we usually, I don't know how, why this always works out this way, but we usually come into a space just as these tennis guys are leaving. And Benny was reporting these arguments, these strange arguments that he was overhearing. Again, these walls are not exactly as soundproof as we would want them to be, but we do like this space overall. And the point is, he heard these arguments that were going on between these two guys. Oh, did I mention, of course, there was the hammering. At one point, they were above us in another studio at the same time we were recording because there there was hammering because they were building tennis rackets? Uh, they had a guest who was actively constructing a tennis racket in the studio above us, and we had to hear that hammering all throughout our session. It's a nightmare. Like, these uh, these guys, I'm glad I didn't forget about that in case you weren't aware. So, <laughs> awkward social skills, uh, passive-aggressive notes, and not giving a shit as to whether or not they are disrupting any other sessions. And apparently these guys just are not getting along, and Benny isn't really even sure... 
uh, when he was telling us about this, he was saying, I'm not really sure if this has to do with the show, if they're arguing about tennis. The walls are just soundproof enough that it's just a lot of, you know, Charles Schultz peanuts, wah, wah, wah style yelling. But then today, so we, of course, we believed Benny, but we had never heard these arguments ourselves. We kind of all showed up at the same time today and we got an earful. And I know it's not really right to gossip about other people, other podcasters on your podcast, but the argument that we heard, quote unquote, while standing outside of this studio was bizarre. It was just borderline violent. And when they came out of the studio, like they wrapped the recording. I can't even imagine listening to whatever it was. I don't even, if this was part of their show and this is what they choose to release, it would really stress me out to hear it because these guys really seem to be at each other's throats. And when they wrapped everything up and they walked out, they saw us standing there and the one guy just kept going. He just had nothing to say and not that we were expecting anything. But the second guy storms out a few seconds after him, sees us and he goes, oh God. <laughs> he just literally saw us. His day was already going badly enough apparently and to see us just really put it over the edge. Oh God. But it's just hilarious to me that these two guys who seem to think they are like these staunchly heterosexual guys and oh, podcasts about musicals. What, I mean, what the hell is that even? What, what kind of show is that? That seems to be the reaction that we got from them when we tried to describe this show. Oh, that was so long ago, and we're all sharing the same space, and what's going on with you two? That's the update regarding the tennis podcast hosts. I know that a few of our listeners are very interested to hear about anything and everything that's going on with them. For the most part, we just sort of cross paths with them, or we don't see them. They're usually maybe gone before we get there, so it's just nice to have something to report. And frankly, I guess I do like gossip. I guess I am a bit of a, a clucking hen when it comes to pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, so the other half of this opening segment is going to be dedicated to updating the, the members of the Cream Pie Cutie Club. That's right, we're going to be talking about boys again. Oh boy, oh boy. Love talking about boys. Now, if you'll remember the last time, the only other time we've talked about the Cream Pie Cutie Club, we inducted a number of people into that esteemed club. Uh, I just want to go over the current members and then we'll talk about who is newly inducted. So the current members are Isaac Cole. Powell of Once on This Island and the current revival of West Side Story. We have Hector Rivera. The, he is starring in the Puerto Rican premiere production of In the Heights. Ben Platt, of course, from Dear Evan Hansen and The Book of Mormon. Tella Leung from Aladdin and Allegiance. Jelani Aladdin from Frozen and Hercules. Devin Elaw from Les Miserables and Miss Saigon. And Sam Tutty from the London production of Dear Evan Hansen. We love those boys, those cream pie cuties. We love them all, but we need to to make room, boys, make room, because there's a new class coming in and they're gonna shake things up. We had a few suggestions from our Twitter listeners. Mark S. suggested that we add Charlie Stemp to the Cutie Pie, Cream Pie Cutie Club, is what I should say. He's from Mary Poppins and Half a Sixpence, the London production, London Productions. Thank you, Mark S., for suggesting Charlie Stemp. Charlie is now in the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Uh, Allison suggested Ethan Slater from SpongeBob SquarePants, and I was waffling a little bit on how I felt regarding Ethan Slater, but then I realized, no, he's a cream pie cutie. He looks like a guy I used to go out with uh, once or twice. Not really, not, no, nowhere near dating. But, you know, I looked at this guy and I thought, yes, he's a quirky guy. He's a quirky cream pie, cream pie cutie. Ah, Babu Frick. Babu Frick like Ethan Slater. Ugh, ugh. Uh, we also have Luke Brady from The Prince of Egypt and Jordan Fisher from Hamilton, Rent Live, and Dear Evan Hansen. A lot of cutie pie, cream pie cutie pie and the Dear Evan Hansen productions that are happening across the globe. We did have another suggestion from listener Rob. He suggested Adam Cantor, but I will say that I must turn down Adam Cantor's application because he looks eerily like a guy I went to college with, and that guy was a real bag of worms. And so I must politely decline this nomination, but thank you very much, Rob. No more applications for now. In regards to the Cream Pie Cutie Club, we're going to move on to the show facts regarding
Morning Blues in the Night. Show Facts, show me the show facts. Blues in the Night was a 1983 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on June 2nd, 1982 at the Rialto Theater and ran for a scant 53 performances. There is no credited book writer, but the show does feature music and lyrics by Bessie Smith, Willard Robeson, Harry Revel, Harry Link, Jack Strakey, and I do apologize once again for mispronouncing any last names here, G.O.W. Thomas, Charlie Davis, Ida Cox, Jimmy Davis, Roger Ram Ramirez, Jimmy Sherman, Leola Wilson, Wesley Wilson, and Ronell Andy Rizoff, Alex Belinda, Vernon Duke, Milton Drake, Ben Oakland, H. Gray, Harold Arlen, Bernard Hannigan, Gordon Jenkins, Harry Axt, Alberta Hunter, Jimmy Cox, Mac Gordon, Holt Marvell, Walter Melrose, Johnny Mercer, Grant Clark, and Ted Kohler. Those are all of the credited music and lyrics. Uh, in terms of the people, I'm saying, who wrote the music and lyrics. I'm all over the map today. I'm still thinking about all those cream pie cuties. Oh, cream pie cuties. Blech. The original Broadway production of Blues in the Night was conceived and directed by Sheldon Epps. The musical director was Chapman, Roberts, and Cy Johnson. So I should say the musical directors were Chapman, Roberts, and Cy Johnson. Grammar is important. There is no credited choreographer. Sad to say, the scenic design, though, was by John Falabella. Lighting design, Ken Billington. Sound design, Bill Merrill. Costume design, David Murin. And the original Broadway cast, we only have four people in this cast, so let's get all those names here. Leslie Uggams played woman number one. Debbie Shapiro played woman number two. Jean Duchon, who replaced Ruth Brown during previews, played woman number three. And the saloon singer was played by Charles Coleman. In regards to Tony Nods, the show was nominated for Best Musical, and that's it. It was not nominated in any other category. Category. It did not win the award for best musical, obviously. So one nomination, zero awards. One could argue that if that's the only nomination you're getting, that it's a pretty perfunctory nomination. Kind of seems like they were trying to fill out the roster a little bit, if you're asking me and you're listening to me. So I assume that you are. <laughs> Let's talk about the plot. I don't have a lot of information regarding the show's plot, and I think that that is unsurprising because from what I can tell, the show had a very abstract, very broad sketch of a plot. There is really no linear narrative here. Per the liner notes from the 1987 original London cast album, quote, the action takes place in a seedy hotel in Chicago in the 1930s, quote, and per the June 3rd, 1982 New York Times review of the Broadway production by Frank Rich, quote, Blues is set in a cheap hotel in 1938 Chicago, where the three stars occupy separate shabby rooms, yet the women remain anonymous throughout, and even when they sing together, they don't interact. Much of the time, the women lean languorously in their doorways or sit at tables fondling their tumblers of booze. In Act 1, much is made of the heroine's very slow efforts to get dressed, presumably for men who stand them up. In Act 2, we get to watch the women disrobe down to their negligees and slippers once more and just as slowly. Quote, this New York Times review also notes how the production featured no dialogue, which makes sense considering the lack of a credit for a book writer. I don't want to dip too much into the work of Mr. Rich. This is the musical man, after all, not the Frank Rich read-along review. But his description of the original production paints a dour picture, one that isn't necessarily supported by the London cast album I sat with this week. This isn't to imply Mr. Rich is full of bunk and hot air and or hot air, I'm simply wondering how the show evolved between its time on Broadway and premiere in England. Were efforts made to lighten up the tone, put a finer point on the broad strokes narrative? Ah, one wonders. Before I go into this week's research sources, I do want to say that the Broadway cast of Blues in the Night did not perform as part of the 37th Annual Tony Awards, though the other musicals nominated that year, Cats, Merlin, and My One and Only, were represented. A Broadway cast album was never recorded, so, for the purposes of this week's episode, we will be discussing slash pulling audio from the 1987 original London cast album. Thank you to our patrons for making this purchase possible. I purchased it through Amazon, which is a terrible company, and I feel bad about it, but I had to have that CD, baby. I had to have it. According to the liner notes, this album was, quote, recorded live at the Donmar Warehouse Theater Covent Garden on the 
and 26th of August, 1987, by John Timberley's Mobile Facility. Quote, The album contains an order form from Relativity and First Night Records, with which you can order LP, CD, or cassette editions of the following albums. Les Miserables, original London cast. The music of Andrew Lloyd Webber, featuring the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. An evening with Alan J. Lerner, Mac and Mabel in concert. Cabaret, original London cast. Kiss Me Kate, Royal Shakespeare Company cast. And Wonderful Town, original London cast. I don't have a number of these albums. Is this order form still good? Can I still get to the cassettes? Hello, I have questions. The original London cast, since we're going to be hearing them in all of our audio clips, it's good to know who was a part of that original London cast. Well, we have Debbie Bishop as Woman of the World. The character distinctions here are different from those found in the original Broadway production, I should say. So we have Debbie Bishop as the Woman of the World, Maria Friedman as Girl with a Date, Clark Peters as Man in the Saloon, and Carol Woods as Lady from the Road. I do wish to comment on the art for this album, as it contributed to my assumption that Blues in the Night would be a uniformly glum affair. It features the silhouette of a woman who appears thoroughly wrung out by life. She's sitting positively pouring herself into a chair out of exhaustion, legs spread, arms dangling, head slouched to one side. Even the feather in her hair droops to reflect the weight of her blues. It's a simple but arresting image that has stuck with me throughout the week, which is why I wanted to bring it up, and now I have. I also want to quote in full the liner notes from director Sheldon Epps, who, as I mentioned, also conceived this show from the get-go. Let's get those now. Quote, The blues, that special sound that comes straight from the soul, a feeling, a cry of pain, a shout of joy, a song that is born in the heart. Blues music has its roots in the slave calls and spirituals of the Deep South. It was used to communicate as a means of survival and a way of coping. If you could sing about your troubles, maybe you wouldn't need so much to cry. Blues songs took the place of tears. They helped you to get through one more rough day. And now and then, they even helped to make you laugh. You could always lean on the blues. As the music traveled north to the big cities, it grew more bold, more sophisticated, and gained a sort of lyrical eloquence. It came to encompass the full range of human experience, sorrow and joy, pain and elation, the chill of loneliness, and the heat and fire of passion. The blues inspired and touched everybody, those who wrote the music, those who sang, and those who heard the sound. Bessie Smith, Alberta Hunter, and others reached out and found kindred spirits in the talents of Billie Holiday, Duke Ellington, and Harold Arlen. Their inspiration is still vital in the artistry of today's rhythm and blues singers, and also in the music of some of our best pop and rock performers. The blues, born of the need to survive, kept alive and nurtured by artists past and present. Its future secured by our need to have it in our lives. Everybody's had a long, lonely night. Next time you do, lean on it. And remember, we've all got a right to sing the blues. I do want to deconstruct a number of tracks from the original London cast album, but first I want to give you the full track list from that album, okay? We have Blue Blues, Four Walls and One Dirty Window Blues, Slash, I've Got a Date with a Dream, Stomping at the Savoy, Taking a Chance on Love, It Makes My Love Come Down, I'm Just a Lucky So-and-So, Take Me for a Buggy Ride, Wild Women Don't Have the Blues, Lover Man, Willow Weep for Me, Take It Right Back, Blues in the Night, Rough and Ready Man, Reckless Blues, Wasted Life Blues, Baby Doll, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out, I Got a Right to Sing the Blues, and finally, Four Walls and One Dirty Window Blues, Reprise. Now, there are songs listed on Wikipedia that are not featured on that London album, so I assume that these would have been represented in the Broadway production, maybe they didn't make it across the pond, or maybe while recording this London recording live, they just decided to leave some numbers out for the sake of space. But those songs are, you will not hear these on the only cast album, that's a reminder, Am I Blue, Copenhagen, Dirty No Gooder Blues, Kitchen Man, Low, New Orleans Hop Scop Blues, These Foolish Things Remind Me of You, and When a Woman Loves a Man. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go all the way back to Taking a Chance on Love. Patty and Benny, can we please get a clip of that track? Things are mending now. I see a rainbow blending now. We'll have a happy ending now. Taking a chance on love. On the ball. 
again I'm heading for a fall again tracks of the London cast album left me feeling, shall we say, concerned. We've already examined a number of reviews that are similar in style and structure to this week's subject, Bubbling Brown Sugar, Ain't Misbehavin', and After Midnight, and since I can't review any one show in a vacuum, Blues in the Night was bound to be compared to those titles. To that point, those opening tracks had about as much impact on me as a throw pillow landing in my lap. There was very little coming through in the way of individual or group personality, an observation you could never level at, say, the original cast recording of Ain't Misbehavin'. Ain't Misbehavin' knows its strength lies in the dynamo spirit of its performers, and it was built to highlight and enhance that spirit. The arrangements for Blues in the Night, by comparison, often make the London cast sound like anonymous backup singers for a cigarette ad. I needed something to activate me, force me to sit up straight and pay attention. That's something turned out to be Maria Friedman's rendition of Taking a Chance on Love. Friedman is the show's secret weapon. I enjoyed performances from all three of the women in this cast. Clark Peters, for his part, is a dud. But Friedman shines brightest because, and I've paid this compliment to performers in the past, she pays deference to herself, not the song. A thousand people could sing Taking a Chance on Love and make it sound pleasant enough, the sort of ephemeral vapor that ekes out of an antique radio and gets your toe tapping. But if you're going to perform an old standard for a live audience, audience, you have to do more than serve up the damn melody. I don't want a waiter, I want a performer. I want to recognize the spark inside you. Maria Friedman knows how to give voice to the spark that's inside her, and it is her confidence and bravado that got me to lock in with Blues in the Night for the first time. She's having an absolute blast with this song, utilizing a deceptively powerful, flexible set of pipes to work alongside and morph the melody line whenever the mood suits her. Thank you for this performance, Miss Friedman. It could not have come at a more necessary time. Daddy, you're as sweet as you can be When you takes me for a buggy ride When you set me down upon your knee And you ask me to be your bride When you hug and kiss me It makes me feel so fine I get this funny feeling up and down my spine You don't need no teacher, you don't need no guide When you take me for a buggy ride Now you're my man You're so nice and brown Sweetest man in this town Now I heard you say you was going away to leave me here to stay. I feel like I could cry. And here's the reason why. Daddy, you really knows your stuff when you take me for a buggy ride. When you get your habit on You can move your gear With so much pride I get a funny feeling When I gaze into your eyes It gives me such a thrill It makes my thermometer rise I'm happy when you're by my side When you take me for a buggy ride Your loving ain't so forte In the park 
but you a loving poor creature in the dark. Now you ain't so hot, tell me what can it be that makes me say, ooh, daddy, take all of me. You always ready every time I call. Now what I like about you, baby, is you never stall. Now you ain't no preacher, but you a good old soul. You don't send salvation to my very soul. I'll probably you something when you put on your clutch. Don't you put on your brakes, because I like it too much. Take Me For A Buggy Ride begins with a lackadaisical stretch of horseshoe cobblestone clops, a sign that caused my hackles to go up. I was in no mood to entertain the G. Willikers saloon stylings of the Wild West, which is why I'm glad Carol Woods came along to put the kibosh on that. I'm here for any song that runs on mighty fuck me energy, fuck me, fuck me right now energy, and Carol Woods has more than enough to spare when it comes to this turn at bat. She's winding up the tempo, winding up the live audience, and winding up this particular gay man from Note 1, successfully shooting us into the stratosphere only when she's good and ready. We are merely the playthings of Carol Woods, a fact I not only accept but celebrate. Wind me up and set me off, Carol. Excellent. Willow Weep For Me is an excellent track, is what it is. I realize that what makes Maria Friedman such a standout on this album is how she manages to bring a modern vocal quality to old hat tunes. It's never distracting. She's always adding the right amount of present-day flavor to the recipe. But nonetheless, it's a sound one instantly recognizes as being cool and fresh. So many singers in reviews like this come off like they're doing an impression of a 1940s radio starlet, and I always find it charmless and a tad creepy. Don't do an impression, do you. Putting the focus back on Willow Weep for me, that opening is so great, isn't it? I, I zero in so fiercely on Friedman's quicksilver notes, it's like I'm being hypnotized, distracted by this gorgeous voice while someone robs me blind in the background. If anyone wants to rob me, they know what to do now. That's all I'm saying. This would pair quite well with Nell Carter's rendition of Mean to Me, another performance that left me knocked out. Nell Carter, Maria Friedman, please do not rob me. I have nothing for you but my admiration. Is that not valuable enough? Torch me with your torch songs! You came home bad half past three. Wake me up, Papa, you was ballin' me. Take it right back to the place where you got it. You can't leave a bit of it here. You just a leaping and a rolling drunk, smelling like you've been with some funky old skunk. Now you just take it right back to the place where you got it, honey, because mama don't want none of it left here. Please let me help you understand. I don't want nothing but a second hand. Take it right back to the place where you got it. You can't leave a bit of it here. You just like one of those old time cats, always chasing those no good rats. Take it right back to the place where you got it. You can't leave a bit of it here. Oh, you think it's funny, huh? Yeah, look at this man. Look at this man alone. 
sweet butter roll Take you right back to the Daddy, I do not want that thing in here Don't you come shooting that no good sass Cause you ain't got enough to handle mine Take it right back to the place where you got it, child You shan't leave a bit of it here I ain't worried I'm doing fine You keep yours and I'll hold on to mine Take it right back to the place I just pick up that shit and get the hell out of here When I tell you that I'm good and true There ain't nothing that your mama wouldn't do Take it right back to the place where you got it fuck me song that much has been established but I love an old-fashioned fuck you song just as much take it right back allows Debbie Bishop Maria Freeman and Carol Woods to come together so they can hurl a metric ton of invective at the despicable men in their life it's a hell of a lot of fun and I especially enjoyed listening to the trio's razor-sharp interactions probably because there's so little of that to be found in the piece Maybe I'm giving this track more credit than is necessary because it reminds me of the dynamics found in Ain't Misbehavin'. If that is so, then let it be so. I want a two-fisted, double-jointed, rough and ready man. I want a hard-working no shirking good and steady man he can be a backwoods farmer or a digger in a ditch hell he can even drive a garbage wagon honey it will make a bit of difference which i want a two-fisted double-jointed rough and ready man I want a hard-working, ooh, no shirking, good and steady man. Now, you know, I don't have to have no fat man, but neither must he be too thin. And, you know, I sure as hell don't want some guy who's got to get all pepped up on gin. I want a two-fisted, double-jointed rough. Man. Debbie Bishop saying, I want a two-fisted, double-jointed, rough and ready man nearly turns me straight every time I hear it. I know that sexual orientation, you know, we all exist on a spectrum, but this song really tests me. It's really, it's I'm, I'm a radio dial. I'm going all over the place on the spectrum here listening to rough and ready man. Like I've said before, twice before now, I love a fuck me song. And if you can get this homosexual to tug at his damn past collar, you've done your job right. I can tell you that much. I think it's the way Bishop says the word fisted, two-fisted, that really gets me going. Sorry for any weird pops or weird sounds, me just accentuating, fisted, two-fisted. You got me, Debbie. Now tell me what to do. I'm new at this. Bark, bark. I've lived this life, but let me tell you, nothing, nothing I've gained. Each day is full of so much sorrow and so much pain And no one seems to care Not enough for me I wonder can you give me I wonder can you give me Can you give me one
Wasted Life Blues is a long ride at nearly seven minutes. This track is nearly seven minutes long. And for the most part, I found myself checking in and out when it came to Carol Wood's performance. I attribute my inattention to the show's glut of mournful torch ballads, a surplus that wore my capacity for engagement down to a nub. I do not attribute it to the caliber of Carol Woods, who cracks open and pours one out as the number draws to a close. Draws to a close? She leaves everything on the stage, and by doing so, she earns the biggest, heartiest ovation from her live audience, and uh, yeah, you deserve it. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that is it in terms of our score deconstruction of Blues in the Night, and now we are going to hear from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Oh, oh, are we on? Are we recording? Oh, fantastic. Excelsior, true believers. It's me, Stan Lee. That's right. The acclaimed comic book man. I'm a presario. I'm a master. And I'm the creator of Spider-Man. Oh, that's right. Spider-Man, true Avengers, true believers. Don't you know that Spider-Man is my favorite character? Oh, I was so excited when they turned Spider-Man into a Broadway musical. Spider-Man, turn off the dark. We all said to Spider-Man, Turn off the dark, and he did it eight shows a week. Oh, Excelsior! It's, it made me say Excelsior on opening night. And let me tell you, that was a long road to opening night. A lot of rehearsals that I did not need to attend. They said, Mr. Stanley, you don't have to come to rehearsals. You've already signed all of the contracts. We don't need you, Mr. Stanley. Please leave. And I said, No, no, no. I say to you, Excelsior, I'm a true believer of Julie Taymor's vision, and I want to be there for every moment of its realization. And those were crazy rehearsals. I tell you, I once saw Julie Taymor stab a man with a pair of shears. Oh, it was fantastic. It made me say, Excelsior! I stood up in my seat in the corner of the room where they told me I could not. I was told, you have to stay here. They brought me a tuna sandwich every day and they said, just don't talk. Don't get out of the corner. Be quiet, Stan. If you're going to be here, geez Louise, just stay here. And I said, Excelsior, thank you very much. And, and you know, uh, during all of those high moments of drama when everybody was screaming at each other and the Spider-Man boy broke his femur, I saw the bone. I touched the bone. They said, Stan, don't touch the bone. I said, I'm going to touch it. And they said, don't touch it, Stan. And I said, I'm going to touch it. And I touched a femur bone and the Spider-Man boy went, owie, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you know, this was a crazy time, but I, you know how I kept my cool? You know how I kept my cool? with a five, six, seven, eight brand cup of coffee. A cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee. That's right. I brought a little thermos, a Spider-Man thermos. Actually, it was Spider-Man slash the Fantastic Four. And I would fill my thermos with five, six, seven, eight coffee, and I would drink it all day. And then they would bring me my tuna sandwich, and I would drink the coffee with the tuna sandwich. And I tell you, my breath was a stinkeroo. It was a real stinkeroo. One time, Julie Taymor slapped the Spider-Boy, and I thought, to myself, oh, that's gotta hurt. <laughs> and I took a long draw from my 5678 coffee thermos. I gotta tell you, this is the only coffee I ever drank when I was alive. I'm not alive anymore. But I'm just telling you, if you're alive, you should be drinking 5678 coffee. It'll really cool you down with its hot, rich flavor. Okay, spider fans, I gotta go. I gotta go. God's calling me. We're coming up with a new superhero called Jesus Man. It's based on his son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, it's gonna be terrible. Alright, gotta go. Bye, true believers. Thwip, thwip. Uh, uh, snicked. Is that what Wolverine says? Snicked when his claws come out. Okay, bye. Gotta go. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it. Excelsior.
Final thoughts on Blues in the Night. Despite the genuine affection I occasionally felt for the London cast album, there really is no real reason to produce Blues in the Night. There are better reviews out there that feature stronger, more carefully curated, and entertaining set lists. And even if you were to assemble a stellar cast of singers, they would absolutely lose their audience, guaranteed. You will not and cannot keep them engaged from start to finish when it comes to this piece. I'm just, I'm making that declaration right now. It's not possible. Stop trying. You have no one to blame but yourself for producing a mediocre review. You thought talent could save you? These are actors, not miracle workers. You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm belching on... Mike! Oh, burp. Now, in 1983, for your information, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Cats, and the additional nominees, uh, we've already talked about them, well, right in the show facts section, if you'll recall, uh, but those shows were Merlin, we've talked about that in the past, and my one and only, another one of those goddamn Gershwin shows that I am not looking forward to. I'll just say that right now. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha. I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, no, do I think that uh, Blues in the Night should have won Best Musical over Cats? Cats? Uh, no. And I think we've talked about this before. I, I think Cats just needs to stick with that award because Merlin doesn't seem very... Un no. <laughs> I'm not going to try and be eloquent when it comes to my analysis of Merlin all over again. No. To Merlin. I'm just going to say that. And my one and only... No. Fuck you. In advance. No. Fuck you. I'm biased against that show and I'm going to make that real as my as fucking clear as I fucking can. So Cats, you get to keep your award. Blues in the night. I don't apologize. Sorry, not sorry. You have some shiny moments thanks to your cast, but on the page I'm thinking, you're a real snooze. You're a real snooze-roo, Blues in the Night. Now we are going to rank the show. Of course, this is the 50th musical we have talked about on The Musical Man, and that is no small feat. We have a long way to go, but at this point we have talked about 50 musicals that were either nominated or won, either nominated for or won, uh, grammar, grammar's important, the Tony Award for Best Musical, and you know, normally we don't go through this entire list, but for today, why not? Why don't we just do this? We're celebrating 50 shows in the can. Why not? Now, if you ever want to take a look at this list, at this list of all the shows that have been ranked, go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod. Click the pinned tweet. It'll take you to a nice, fancy Google sheet. Click on the second tab. That's where you're going to find that ranking. But if you don't want to look at that, hell, I'll tell you right now what's going on. So we're going to start at the bottom here. We will reveal where, you know, Blues in the Night is on this list. But I just want to start at the bottom here with number 45, we have Miss Saigon. We have at number 44, Ragtime, 43, Avenue Q, 42, South Pacific, 41, Crazy For You, 40, Swinging On A Star, 39, School Of Rock, 38, Tootsie, 37, Sugar, which was moved recently, moved recently, and I would tell you where it used to be, but I get so confused when I'm moving all of these shows around. So at this point, I just have any shows that recently saw a change were just highlighted in blue, so I'm just telling Telling you, sugar moved. There was a movement for sugar, okay? So sugar is at 37. Big River, which also saw a move, is now at 36. The Goodbye Girl, 35, 34. Shrek the Musical, 33. The Wedding Singer, 32. Bubbling Brown Sugar, also saw a move recently. 31. Grind, 30. City of Angels, saw a move recently. 29. Applause, you also moved. And what's that at number 28? It's Blues in the Night. This week's subject, baby. Number 27, Once, you also saw a move. Ah, there was so much shaking up when it comes to this week's this week's ranking, I should say. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. Number 26, The Lion King. Number 25, Juan Darien, A Carnival Mass. Number 24, No Strings. Number 23, Woman of the Year. Number 22, Rent. Number 21, Hairspray. Number 20, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. 19 through 10, Evita, Natasha Pierre, The Great Comet of 1812. Kiss Me Kate, Kiss of the Spider Woman, The Producers, Grey Gardens, Ain't Misbehaving, Guys and Dolls, The Most Happy Fella. Bring into Noise, Bring into Funk at number 10. As a reminder, number 9, Passing Strange. Number Number eight, you're in town. Number seven, Man of La Mancha. Number six, Sweeney Todd. Number five, Into the Woods. Number four, Gypsy. Number three, Dream Girls. Number two, Caroline or Change. And number one, a chorus line, baby. Now you see why we don't go through it every week because the list is already so long and we have so many more shows. Oh, but I should say there is also the Phantom Zone. Are you not aware of the Phantom Zone? The Phantom Zone is where all of the shows go, the shows that we don't have enough information 
on. They don't have cast albums, we don't know anything about them, and so we really just have to relegate them to The Phantom Zone. Those shows are a big deal. James Joyce's The Dead, Quilters, Merlin, and After Midnight. So sorry, Phantom Zone shows. So sorry. When it comes to show-related ephemera, I was hoping the phrase Blues in the Night commercial would result in the discovery of, you know, some random piece of advertising, my favorite form of show-related ephemera, as we all know, but YouTube had nothing for me, unfortunately. The phrase Taking a Chance on Love commercial produced similarly irrelevant results, though it did lead me to the Whitney Houston single Taking a Chance. I had never heard this particular Houston track, which makes sense, as it was only released as part of the Japanese edition of her third album, I'm Your Baby Tonight. It's a lot of fun, and I'm a huge fan of Whitney Houston, so that's what we're listening to this week. Hit it, Patty and Betty! There's a chance that maybe getting a man-in-the-mirror vibe from the chorus, as it just me? To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Goodbye Forever, Tampons! Everyone ready? Then away we go! Okay, I am stepping off of the musical carousel. Oh my god, this is crazy. This, oh goodness gracious, we are doing another milestone next week because we are closing out for the first time. We are going to be closing out an entire season. We are going back to 1985. We have already discussed three of the four shows that were nominated that year, Big River, Grind, and Quilters, and we are going to talk about the final show that was nominated from that season. It ran for 120 performances in 19 on Broadway in that season, I should say, over, what am I saying? It ran overall for 120 performances, and that show is Leader of the Pack. Oh, we're going to be closing out a season. I have something special planned for every time we do that, and we're going to do it for the first time next week. What is it? What is he going to do? What's going to happen? Oh, God. Oh, you're never going to know. You're never going to know if you don't listen. You have to listen next week, too. Oh, this is going to be fun. Go to patreon.com slash music Command Pod to find out how you can support the show financially. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you will receive a verbal shout out each and every week. Let's do that now. Thank you so much, Mark S, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. If you donate one dollar a month, you also get access to bonus episodes. Yes, these bonus episodes come in all shapes and sizes at all times throughout the calendar. We have uh, bonus episodes covering the 73rd annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, and my full review of Cats currently available. We actually have six bonus episodes planned for everyone who donates at least $1 a month. So if you want to find out more about what those episodes are going to be covering, you got to go to that page, baby. You got to go to that page. Now, if you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. And you also get access to the ongoing series Wildcats Everywhere, a bi-weekly podcast that's all about high school musical. High school musical, baby! If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I talk about on the podcast. You also get access to Season 1, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, the Phantom of the Opera Advice Podcast, and you get access to our ongoing Broadway in Chicago series. I review all of the shows that come through Chicago as 
as part of that brand. And we have talked about Oslo, Mean Girls, and Once on This Island at this point. And the next podcast in that series will be dedicated to uh, Summer, the Donna Summer musical. It's true. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus access to the full first season of The Snow Club, 12 episodes about musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Those episodes are dedicated to the following shows. Amelie, Merrily We Roll Along, Flahooly, American Psycho, Be More Chill, Jekyll and Hyde, Allegiance, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, The Bridges of Madison County, A Doll's Life, Aida, and our finale, Jesus Christ Superstar. It is now available. It's been available. Go, go, go. Check out those episodes. Now, you might be wondering, where does my money go? Well, that money goes toward the purchase of cast recordings, such as Blues in the Night, movie rentals, and it helps to offset the cost of being hosted through Podbean. If we ever bring in $100 or more in total monthly donations, I will produce M3, the movie musical man. This will be made available to all patrons, and it will be a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. I've had more than a few people reach out to me and ask, oh, would you cover movie musicals? How about a special series regarding movie musicals? And I just want to say to them, look, we've been talking about this for over a year. That's been the promise for over a year, but you gotta give me the money. You gotta at least consider giving me a dollar. Every dollar counts, and so I encourage you, I encourage you to think about it. Do it, baby! If you're listening to the show through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment now to write a five-star review. Rate the show via five stars and then write out a review. We currently have 28 written five-star reviews, and if we get to 30, I will record a special episode dedicated to the Descendants trilogy, baby. Stream the show at musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Email me about literally anything you fucking want. Well, not anything. Don't get, like, weird. Don't send me pictures of your feet. No feet photos. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. And that's, oh, you know what that sound means? That's that doorbell, baby. Oh, yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. Good night.